Thanks for joining us again on another episode of Dice Advice. We are a tabletop advice podcast where we take your questions, quandaries, tales of valor and debauchery, and we digest them and bring them back to you. My name is Jesse. I'm the host. And to my left, I've got my good friend. Harry. I'm John. Saul. And Brad. All right. Hot off the presses. And as far as you guys know, that was our first take. So let's just jump right in. I feel like last episode, we kind of dealt with a little bit of like some some questions about how to run the game for children, more of a kid-friendly game. I kind of thought today we would deal with a little bit more adult subject matter or at least darker, but I wanted to open it up with a question from Todd, and this is specific to D&D 5e, which um, is not necessarily always going to be the case. We're going to handle a lot of questions for a lot of different systems. Specifically, this one's for D&D 5e. Pretty quick and to the point, he said, DMs. Do you prescribe to the idea that certain races are inherently evil? And I always like to infer, and if so, why? I think that's a solid question. It's something that I have debated with this character that I have currently with being a tiefling. My natural nature is to be, I think, a little bit chaotic, a little more on the dark. I have horns coming out of my head, for God's sake. And I think I'm supposed to be a little more untrusting, a little more evil than I actually am. And I try to play it to a degree. I try to be honest with myself, but I want my character to have its own entity. But I think there's an exception to every rule. So just because the book says you're supposed to behave a certain way doesn't mean you, you can't be yourself or, or get into character. And maybe your character goes against the grain. Mm-hmm. I particularly love this question. I think it's a question that I always kind of deal with with world building. If you have a set manual, such as those in 5e, that's a pre-developed world you're stepping into. Therefore, in that sense, there is a, a morality code of good and evil and things that can be uh, aligned to that. Drow in the world of 5e are evil. Elves are neutral or good. However, when you're looking at world building and the world is your oyster, so to speak, you can look at that a little differently. Why are drow evil or universe? Or are they not? And this kind of goes hand-to-hand with a, a topic I love talking about, which is alignment as well. And what is evil and what is good? Um, is a race evil because they don't like working with people and they kind of are just very independent and want to look out only for their people? And so in that regards, I think... With pre-developed modules, you already have that kind of built in, and it's guided for you. But in world building, you have to look at the motives of each race and kind of see for your own moral code, if would it be evil or not evil? I see what you're saying there, too, because like in the, like the established 5e lore, the drow is like, the, basically they're attached to the evil god Loth and all that good stuff, and that's why they are the way they are. But like in my homebrew game, and I think this is a big caveat, and it's almost a, it's almost an issue for us to talk about things like this, just in general, because the, the caveat is, at your table, anything goes. So you <clears> can <throat> even play it that these guys have been misunderstood the whole time. Yeah. And actually, the high elves are the, really the terrible people because they've been playing it off that they're these wonderful, beautiful creatures this whole time, and they've got this you know, malicious subtext behind them. That should be our tagline for this podcast. At your table, anything goes. <laughs> but it's interesting, I think, that you're giving this this narrative of high elves versus drow because Grant Howitt, I think it's Grant Howitt, 
it created that RPG is called Spire, but all the characters are drow. And it's set in this world where all the drow live in these different levels of a tower. And they're all um, fighting against the high elves who have taken control. So it's all about perspective, really. And I think it's interesting, too, about the whole idea of alignment. I mean, I think alignment really is another aspect of gameplay that's provided to you for to the players to give you some assistance in role playing. I mean, maybe we open up into that, too. I think that's a good way to like dovetail this conversation, because I mean, the, the guy himself is asking about like specific races, but I think the alignment system is a whole other conversation to have. I mean, I, I think bottom line, and we're going to come back to this a million times over, but at your table is what matters. And I think the race to me, I mean, Harry, you said it perfectly. You have horns coming out of your head, but does that necessarily mean that you're evil just because you have horns? You know, you, the character can have their, their own rich backstory and the player can develop in their own way. I mean, maybe you, maybe something happened to your character early on in his youth and development that altered his course and that's why he's somehow you know whatever i mean i know he's a tiefling but you, you get what i'm saying like right i, I could the, even the horns don't necessarily mean you're evil horns right. don't make the tiefling right, right my character was adopted by a dwarven battlesmith so it's kind of like maybe i was shown kindness at a young age that like somebody from another race decided to take me in and raise me it's like fuck man like i kind of grew up with a bit of a good heart but there's but I think Saul said it pretty well himself about mm-hmm. the, it being a good guide for you to have a foundation on, but it doesn't have to be the detail of your character. I think it's a good broad stroke, but if you get into the nitty gritty, how boring would it be if you had all these assumed responses from a race or from, you know, like everything is by the book. You're never going to get in. You're never going to be surprised. You're always going to come up across um you can make these assumptions about certain characters and you'd always be right and how boring would that be kill every goblin yeah right right (laughs) but on the other hand like this this idea of say say characters certain characters evil certain or i'm sorry certain races evil certain races good you have alignments and everything those rules that were given from wizards of the coast to the hand you know the the rule books they they guide you like Harry's saying they guide the care the the player and from the most novice to the most advanced you have a guidebook so it kind of brings you you say you know you're you're a player you come to the table you have a blank character sheet and all of these things help you to create a character that has complexities and dimensions you know it's not necessarily <laughs> Uh, it's not necessarily B way, it's A way. I, I totally agree with you on that, actually. I, I love that you brought that up. Um, and you talked about uh, assumptions and presumptions. And I think that's really crucial to this because you take a take, take, I'd like always bring this back to storytelling because that's the most crucial aspect of it. You know, you guys are cooperatively writing a story. Like, I love that you brought up the point of morality and racial, you know, stereotypes. Um, as we said, as we always look back, this is a cooperative storytelling, and I love looking at literature and seeing some of the greatest stories and how those type of stereotypes or presumptions can affect a story. 
And one of the most impactful is one from uh, Christian theology, which I, the story of Lucifer and God. Lucifer being an angel, one would assume at all times they'd be good, but that was the key character to betrayal and his, his betrayal of God. And very well said. One of the first, one of the first plot twists. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so making those assumptions are great, and they're great for storytelling. You know, if you guys encounter an evil group of goblins, why are you as good characters first going to kill them? Good characters shouldn't kill things immediately, right? Hmm. Well said. And the yeah. day you come across the good goblin, well, fuck, your mind's blown. Can I trust this? Can I trust this person? Are they here to help me? Uh, the one thing I would like to add in here is, uh, as far as races being evil, I don't think uh, it's bad to have it as an assumed response to the character. Uh, but personally, as a character, um, I've always disliked when a DM will limit your options. Um, especially when it seems like it's you know an arbitrarily response. Um, Rules-wise, okay, that makes sense. Some races can be overpowered. But to simply eliminate a character choice that could make a, a very interesting story, because this book says, hey, you can't be a knoll because they're bad. It just takes a little bit of the fun out of it. I'm with you there, Dick, because I think, I, I don't know, this is, this is the kind of question that I almost want to answer a flat no to. Are certain races inherently evil? I'd like to say no. I'd like to say yeah, Especially when you throw in the caveat of every table is different. Your story yep. is going to be your story. Um, or and your, I, you know, I actually like how you, I like your point of like uh, of, of the player or the player's response to those characters being the issue more so than the character itself. So like the you know the players encounter a knoll, they have this you know, this presupposed notion that that's going to be evil. It's going to be an encounter. What if the guys just got wares, you know? And if they react in a way that it's towards an evil character and they're wrong, then they suffer some consequences for that. And again, obviously at your table, I I just like to answer no. But let's entertain. Let's entertain the question and say if if yes, which character, which races right off the top are are, are clearly evil. I mean, the, I'm going to take the easiest one and say the drow. I mean, I disagree you with can, you. I don't yeah, think they are evil. You can go that, but then you've you've got a an entire uh, book series that goes against that. I, I, exactly. I'm now now that's that, that's my presupposed notion. Like right off the top of my head, I'm saying drow or evil, and that's that, that's the way. Oh it is. yeah, I mean we could talk about stereotypes if that was what you mean. Like what <clears throat> what races people just kind of assume are probably evil in the D and D universe. So I think we kind of came to this consensus that like no, there's no really inherently evil races but the 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 fact that the players are going to suppose that yeah the the fact that they're going to assume that kind of the dm can kind of use that to his advantage and weave it into the narrative in a satisfying way i agree with that wholeheartedly how boring would it be to just i don't know I, i i love the surprise and that's the best part of a good story are the contradictions and the surprises i love saul's example of lucifer being an angel he's you know as far as the religion's concerned he's the ultimate evil and but he he ultimately started off as an angel just like anybody else you know michael or everybody else so it's like something that was purely good has become purely evil and you can't just assume that all angels are good now now you have to assume that there's a chance other angels could be up to no good and it's like that's a possibility so and then of course the the opposite is possible as well there's good drow there's good goblins and i love the surprise of course 
I think it goes back to that rule of at your own table, it's at your discretion. But I, I side with Jesse with it. For me, it's just a hard no. I even tried to play devil's advocate of like what race, like an ogre or or even a dragon. There's good dragons out there. And then I saw Shrek once. There's good ogres. <laughs> so, wow. I mean, hey, keep it he real, had, he had a positive up. character arc. Okay. He wasn't good at the beginning. Yeah, he was, was eventually he became good. He was misunderstood. He didn't kill anybody. There were other ogres out there. I want to give a counterexample too. A counterexample to like Saul's um, Lucifer kind of thing uh, of a satisfying plot twist in the opposite direction. Think about the first time you found out that Gollum was originally a hobbit. Right. Mm. You know right. what I mean? Uh, he wasn't. Was it Hobbit or? I guess he wasn't uh, really. He, he wasn't, no, he wasn't right. a Hobbit. He, I forget right. the exact name. But he, he was, was like a rumor folk, right? Race before Hobbits. Before right. Hobbits. He, was a, he was like the Cro Magnon version of a Hobbit. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, no, no, and, and in the in the end, I mean, essentially, Gollum was the reason the ring got destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. Touche. Yeah. I mean, that's it's like a, uh, they they did a double swap on us. Fair point, though, for sure. But I just think so, that, that yeah. the first time you found out that's where his genesis was, you're like, oh, man, I can't believe this. Yeah, I think what it right. comes down to is life isn't black and white. There's tons of shades and there's some shades that even that nobody can even interpret properly. So it is what mm-hmm. it is. Awesome. Now, this I, next question, don't don't save save a little bit because this next question is okay. almost identical, but it's just kind of adds a little bit of a. um of a uh, extra layer to it. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I lost, lost my question list here. I want to read it verbatim because that's more satisfying to me. I think we killed that question. I think we smashed it. Let me see. It's buried. <laughs> here we go. So this next one is uh, from Kenneth. Uh, the next campaign I am playing in is for evil PCs. I need ideas, please. Race and class. So obviously we kind of beat the race into the ground. Um, but I guess we can come at it from a different angle. If you're purposely trying to make an evil character, what race would you pick? And, uh, you know, uh, there's going to be some obvious choices, but what class would you do? And we'll keep them, you know, keep them to a minimum. I guess we don't need to build the whole thing for them. Mm-hmm. But I think well, it feeds into the earlier question of like, like there is anybody can be anything like the world. Yeah. It's a free world. You can have evil paladins. You can have evil wizards. You can have evil barbarians. Anybody can be evil or good. We I mean, you could even good. have, you know, a druid who like is like, fuck every city. Let's destroy them because the druid wants the forest. <laughs> Ooh, back. And that's Actually. not necessarily evil. That's just a way a druid. Like, but, I mean, that, that, that could be their belief. System. I like I like that idea. Let's 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 harp on that for one minute because he's asking for an idea for an evil an evil campaign. He wants a race in the class. I love an evil druid as the as the starting off point. There mm-hmm. was uh, they did come out with that. I think it's like a wildfire. Um, yep, subclass kind of flame based. I mean, burn the city, dude. That'd be amazing. And I I I just want to jump in there and get my racial pick off the off the way. I just think an evil human is almost the most satisfying thing, just because it's an allegory mm-hmm. for how we're you know we're pretty shitty for a lot of reasons. Yeah, I uh, I I do want to say though I think when we when you look at this from a technicals perspective from the the rules. And, and we talked about this last episode, how everything is on a spectrum. You got your like rules heavy technical uh, gameplay on one end, and then you have role playing um, abstract gameplay on the other end. And mm-hmm. so when you look at it from a, a, a specifically technical, <clears throat> pardon me, rules based approach, you know, 
directly from the player's handbook, you know, your character race and or class affects ability scores and traits and how you build your character. I'm like from a technical perspective, you know? So I, I think that we can make these arguments. Well, this race seems a little bit more evil or this class really lends itself to, but when you really think about it, and I don't know if this is making any a clear point or not, but I just thought it would be interesting to, to, to present that in a way of like, we're we're talking about these things in a mo- almost an abstract way, but mm-hmm. we have to remember that they're technical rules from a game. And I think that's that's really a dichotomy to me in my mind when I'm thinking about this stuff. Is we're we're talking about this th- these things in, a, in, a, in an abstract way, but they really relate to mm-hmm. really technical aspects to a a like statistical system. Game. Yeah system that we're yeah. using you know what i'm saying so the choices that you make directly affect the numbers that are on your character sheet that are directly affect the dice rolls that move the story forward right that's a, that's a really good mm-hmm. point yeah i like that and we did we did just find the rules lawyer though <laughs> no no, so, no no, no. I, I mean, I'm, I'm totally devil's advocate that's what i'm that's what i'm saying like i like yeah. the abstract role-playing aspect of it but it's interesting to think about the fact that the you know wizards gives you these all these technical rules or you know gary gygax said the beginning but now all of these this huge you know cohort of writers and creators are giving you all of these technical rules to help you you know create a story Mm -hmm. i'm sorry i just want to interject something uh so i i do i like that aspect of it of the rules um and so i'm going to pose a question in addition to that one is what classes you know and i'll give you my answer as well I, I, what class do you think have the most tendency, I guess, to fall to the dark side or fall to an evil alignment? Warlock immediately pops to mind for me personally. Yeah, warlock, I would sure. say warlock too. Yeah. Oh. So I personally would love to. See, I, I personally would love to see a halfling bard as being like lawful evil. That would be awesome. Yeah. I mean, Definitely. obviously, the first the uh, the first one that comes to mind is warlock, and then right after that, I'm thinking oathbreaker paladin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, right, right, right. Just worship an evil god altogether. Maybe a death cleric of some sort, or you know, necromancer. I do love how the rogue who is the thief did not pop up immediately. Never. Yeah, I, for some <laughs> reason, I, I don't, I don't have that connotation at all. I think of them like as chaotic for sure, but I mm-hmm. never really. And maybe it's because of the lack of exposure there. Like I haven't seen a lot of those in fiction as far as tabletop mm-hmm. goes. Well, you always people, think of your like really, uh, you know, they're charismatic rogues that like are, y- you know, that they're the downtrodden. They're like underdogs. You know what I'm saying? They, they steal to support them. themselves. Exactly. I think of yeah. them as being mischievous or like purposefully uh, going against the grain, but I don't think of them as being just straight up evil. Lazy and doesn't want to work. So they just steal because it's easier. That's true. And we, I, I, so I, I think this is a good time to kind of throw back in for the audience. We do put a quote around our advice section of our of our episode description. If nothing else, you guys are going to get a really good idea of what our table is like. Mm-hmm. You know how we feel about it, and I think what uh, what John was saying with how we deal with it in abstracts more so. Your DM very well may be going right by that book, and that doesn't make him wrong. So. Right. I guess uh, for my final opinion on this subject, the best way I make evil characters is to take positive attributes and make them extreme. Yes. 
Yes, nice. and okay. that's right like along that. the lines of my sentiment I wanted to make was that I, I think um, evil is more of a, a relative to your perspective on things. And if you try to think of a really evil character, they usually feel like they're doing the right thing. Yep. Even if they're considered evil to somebody else, in their heart of hearts, they believe that their creed, their agenda is the right thing to do. So I love exactly what Saul said because it's extremism, but at the same time, they think they're doing right. No one is the villain of their own story. Bingo. Again, Brad coming out of the fucking wing (laughs) with the most beautiful proverbs. I love it. <laughs> um, I'm actually kind of inspired. If we ever do uh, do decide to do like some uh, you know some other one shots, maybe we all do an evil campaign. You know, um, try to kind of see what we all would process. So if we do that, we'll let you guys all know on social. Obviously, that that's coming. Um, I think that would be an interesting thought experiment because I feel like some of us love to play chaotic, but I don't feel like any of us have gone straight up evil. No, I have. Yeah, what, well, what happens you when you have an entire party of chaotic? <laughs> I, I know, I know you have. <laughs> you got an entire party of chaotic uh, alignments. You're never going to get out of the tavern. Right? <laughs> yeah. They probably own the tavern at the end of the day. And I guess I'll throw this in too. Like, I think a satisfying, and this is not related to what they're asking. They're not asking how do you do this in a narratively satisfying way. I think that's where all of us are kind of at. I think a really cool thing is when you have a good character that does something evil and like Harry said, they're doing it because they feel like it's the right thing to do, but maybe the audience sees it and other players see it as not, you know, as an evil act. And this is Mm -hmm. not a great example. It's just the first one that comes to mind, but like I'm playing Benjamin. Um, He was super, he's a super nice guy, but like once, once the DM pushed us to that certain point and did a couple of things, he really lashed out and straight up murdered that guy for no reason. Um, and it didn't feel wrong to me. And then later I was kind of digesting and I said, that was pretty nasty. That was a pretty nasty thing mm-hmm. to do. Um, for me, that's the kind of moment that, again, we're trying to, you know, plot twist, I guess. Um, it's a, just a satisfying beat for me, for him to have that little edge of darkness to him. Hmm. As a side note, if you're playing an evil character, great opportunity to min-max, because that's just going to be in your personality. Absolutely that's true. true. Uh, one thing I will say as far as like a like pop culture reference, and I don't think anyone here will get this, Nicodemus Arcleone uh, from the Dresden Files book series. Uh, series is not hmm. finished, so we haven't seen his character kind of born its full course. Uh, has a literal fallen angel cooperating with him and a team of people that also have fallen angels. And, you know, he is an antagonist to the main character of the story, but... Uh, throughout this whole book series uh, it's always you know he always alludes that like you're gonna see why i'm doing this someday so he thinks he's the good guy he's just doing what is needed so Mm -hmm. sometimes it's it's not so much evil it's just doing what you think is needed to be done i see you sneaking your niche your niche readings in there I don't know what you're talking about. Everybody go read the Dresden file support Jim butcher. I love him. That's awesome. I, I will check him out. I actually have a free one on all that I haven't cashed in yet. No, but I, and I think it's good to keep this in mind too. Again, I, of course I'm, I'm not, I'm nowhere near the rules lawyer. Okay. Cause I, I was teasing. I know. I'm just saying you, you the, have the rule book right with you. Every time I do something, you're calling me out. <laughs> 
<laughs> he knows them pretty well. It doesn't mean he but, has to argue. <laughs> so, so let's let's just look at it from the basis of like the, the you know D and D has a moral axis with three positions: good, neutral, and mm-hmm. evil. Okay, let's say good characters generally care about others or the welfare of others. Neutral mm-hmm. people generally care about their, their themselves, and then evil characters generally seek to harm others welfare if you want to think about it like that i mean is that kind of like that's fair for sure what we is that fair okay so yeah i mean just just for 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 you for thought so with that like rule alignment right general generally good good welfare neutral and then like out for themselves yeah why do we as a DD culture always teach our good players to go out and kill that's, well, that's a like good that's, point. That's your first I mean, resolution is you're going to kill the bad guys. Violence, yeah, but is that is that necessarily evil? Is violence necessarily evil? This is more of an existential like, a, yeah, philosophical a question. That's a very I good mean, morality question. If you're playing a cleric, right, a cleric of life, for example, why are you taking life? Why wouldn't your for first your, resolve for your god for life? You should probably be buffing the party and casting cure wounds and shit like that and before you like start slaying people you can mm-hmm. also you could also open this question up a whole different way i think we we have a good i i love talking to you guys because we can crack something into this and like break it and then it just trickles down into different trees of conversation but like you guys just made me think the first thing we're conditioning our players to do that one of the big complaints for dms i feel like is murder hobos and mm-hmm. basically i mean we don't play this way because we do milestone leveling but one of the first things that the players are getting at tables that do uh, experience points is I go to a place, I kill the thing, I get the loot, I get the points. And I mean, what is what is stopping them from wanting to kill everything that they see? Um, and what what is this term? You said murder what? Murder hobo. So it just murder it, hobo. Yeah, it's basically just a <laughs> just a theme where they don't really care about the storyline. They're really just there to get their character stronger, and they're going to kill anything in their way to make that happen. And it's a lot more. I think it happens a lot more when it's a experience points based leveling system. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, also if it's a, you know, if there's, if it's a resource light campaign and they need to get everything they can, they kill that shopkeeper. Why are they going to pay this guy fucking 20 gold for something? If they could just slit his throat, <laughs> this would be an amazing social experiment to like, you know, get data from hundreds of players that are playing Skyrim and all of these like role-playing games tabletop rpgs like who how many people put in that situation will just kill the shopkeeper and take everything they have you know even if they have consequences speaking from experience i've done it before um i used to play like that when i was younger life or (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah Mm -hmm. every day at the flea market i just go crazy Oh, well, I mean, the flea market people, they don't count. They don't count. (laughs) (laughs) But I would play play like that as a character. I would, um, I was very, very, very selfish in in not trying to progress the storyline. I I was trying to get all I could. I was trying to kill people, loot things, and I was having a good time with it. But at the same time, I wasn't contributing to the overall story. I was just satisfying my carnal needs as a character. 
And yeah, I collected some things. And eventually I got to face to face with some punishments that I realized that like, if you keep acting this, this behavior is going to get you caught at some point in time. There's going to be some night's guard or there's going to be somebody who comes down. There's always a bigger fish and somebody's going to come down and put you in your place. So you can act up to a certain degree before it catches up to you. Like if you're fucking with the DM storyline, I think eventually he'll, he'll, he'll beat that ass eventually. I think that was our, I think that was our first uh, phantom menace reference too. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a really good point though, because that's exactly, I remember playing with you when like our early ages, when Jesse was the DM. (laughs) <laughs> and we yeah, were I'm sorry for playing. that. <laughs> and I remember us having a conflict as players, and it was like we both wanted to like keep getting stronger. And then our, I remember I, I cloned your character or something like that, and <laughs> we ended up fighting it out. I was, I was, yeah, and we had, uh, we had castles, we had familiars, we had armies. And we were trying to get territory within these towns, and we were just fighting for top dog, but we weren't playing this game. We weren't advancing the story. And it was, I think it was fun for kids to play that way. But as you get older, it's like, I want to be on a team where we achieve goals together mm-hmm. versus uh, that selfish, I want to be the best character. You know, I, I swear I slept with my sheets at night. Like, I just love my character <laughs> so much. I, I do recall that was not the only PvP in that uh, in that oh, campaign. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was I, memorable. <laughs> I, will harp, I will harp on this, though. I think that kind of thing, again, comes back to setting and DM. At that time, I had no idea what I was doing or how to corral you guys. So like, I bred that setting. I bred this um, environment where that kind of thing would happen, and it certainly did, and it ran rampant. My story went nowhere for a while. It, it came together. But, you know, but I guess let's move on to the last question. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to I'm trying to keep them in threes because we like to break them down to a lot of nitty gritty. All right, last one. This is a question from Baker. Guys, I need ideas for curses. The kind of curses I am talking about are long term for the whole campaign. At the beginning, they may look like a blessing or just a good thing, but after some time, the true nature of the curse appears. And I think this one's gonna either make us or break us because I am drawing blanks and I'm hoping that you guys can kind of come to the table with something. Oh, about I got one. one. I've got. I got mm-hmm. one. Uh, chlamydia. um i I actually love this question too these are some really great questions actually you know the question is what does what is your end goal with the curse that's a good yeah that's that's a good way to go um i i feel like in this particular case the guy's saying it seems like they get some type of boon early on maybe their Mm -hmm. attack is higher maybe they maybe they can maybe their two hit is higher because they have eagle eye or something like that but eventually, uh, this is where I'm drawing blanks. What's the downside to that? How does it work in? But I think so, it's something that really handicaps them at higher levels is kind of the end goal. I would love some. So, for example, let's say you were to get a permanent hunter's mark, right? Um, where you can just take pick one person and deal extra damage to them, just like you had, like you had hunter's mark, right? In the beginning, that'd be wonderful, yes. And then, however... The DM takes a secret tally of every time you and every time you kill something with it. And then the uh, final boss gets bonuses based upon how often you use it because you've been actually giving him life 
force energy. Oh shit! I love that. You're actually yeah. You're actually fortifying the final boss throughout the entire campaign. Mm-hmm. And you just drop a little uh, a little bit of clues because you obviously don't want somebody abusing that too much. You know, maybe a couple w- warnings like, "Hey, you know, where do you think or who do you where do you think all that energy is going?" or something like philosophical like that. Maybe a life cleric will say, "You know, there's a balance to this. Some you you take life it has to go somewhere else." You know. Yeah, I got you. Uh, but, uh, one thing uh, or idea I was wanting to throw out there was, I mean, I don't know if you really want to put a slant on each curse, um, whether, you know, kind of like a psychic thing. Mm-hmm. If maybe you want to have the curse give you 1d4, 1d6, you got to kind of play with the balance here. Psychic damage on whatever uh, spells, weapon damage. Uh, but for, you know, in exchange for that, the big bad evil guy or the source of this curse gets secrets whether it knows the locations mm-hmm. of the party um it knows secrets about your uh-huh. character that it can use against you um uh-huh. that's always i mean it can really go you know as far as mechanical it can go fluff it, it's something that's really flexible i love that mm-hmm. a lot i i instantly jumped to um scrying when you said that mm-hmm. I, I, again i had no idea what i was going to say we started this um, if let's say that the character starts with the ability to scry at a limited, a limited thing, he can use a magic thing to, um, if he knows who he's looking for, he can see them, uh, you know, briefly, he can get their location, he can get information. Um, but at the same time, somebody else, or even that person that he's monitoring gets to see them. That'd be terrifying to find out. I and like it, that you can see them, but they see back. Mm-hmm. I, I, it almost makes me think again about Lord of the Rings. With uh, it doesn't really work because you couldn't see anybody when you put the ring on, except for what was right around you. But that uh, that idea that Sauron could see you every time you put it on, mm-hmm. or even um, uh, hey, it's been a while since I've seen or read the books. But uh, in the movies, there was the uh, the orbs where mm-hmm. yes, oh, I remember I, I forget which Hobbit it was. Grabbed it, but Pippin, he saw yeah yeah Mary <laughs> Pippin. That it's always Mary or Pippin. Um, saw Sauron and he saw back. So like, it's kind of plays into that. (laughs) Yeah. So sorry. Uh, uh, Another mechanic curse, which might seem like a blessing in the beginning is to give your characters an elemental attack. so like, you know, let's say like the thunder God's blessing. Right. But then at the end of the game, the big bad God has that resistance and he's been, he gifted you that that way. When, if you guys ever fought, he knew you'd be resistant to all of his attack. Or your attack. Or on the flip side, um, if you get resistance uh, to say thunder, uh, then when you go to attack him, he strips that away, turns that into a weakness. Ah, oh yeah. shit! Suddenly you are uh, vulnerable to that type. Mm-hmm. I kind of like the idea of it being like um, extra damage of some. Like, let's go with the elemental example. Like they mm-hmm. get bonus elemental damage, and it really works well for them throughout most of the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, as it kind of comes on or as it goes on either that goes away totally and the character that they've built needs to figure out a new way to operate that mm-hmm. by itself is devastating or it becomes a vulnerability to themselves later on that would be crazy too yeah but again <laughs> i think it comes down to the story you're trying to weave like what are the is this if this just a purely spiteful mechanism it's not really rewarding to the characters to get these curses um whereas if it's a mechanically enhancing like to create story and to really challenge your players 
and they understand that as well, you know, then it, then it becomes something more character development and more character building. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, I really like this idea and I think it's more, more than just curses. I think in general, when you give, um, abilities with consequences, and I think that's kind of what you guys are talking about too. And Jesse, you, you've been listening to Dungeons and Daddies, so you kind of, you might oh, know yeah. I'm about to go with this, but it, there's a couple of things in Dungeons and Daddies, which, um, is, and I reference it because they, they do, a, they do a few things very well. I think one is, um, and in, in relation to this kind of curse idea, one is the characters are all dads. And so a mechanic in game is whenever a dad makes a dad joke or a pun or something like that, everyone takes some sort of psychic damage, like a D4 of psychic damage. Every time. Oh God, that would be so bad for me to be in. Exactly. It's fun for the storytelling, but also there's a consequence to it. The, The other thing I think is cool is the premise is the dads are from the real world and they're flung into the forgotten realms. So they still have their cell phones with them, but when they want to use their cell phones, there's a mechanic of having to roll to see if the battery's still alive. And, and, and it's interesting the way they do it because, you know, the iPhones have less of a chance of, you know, the battery still being alive yeah. than, than the flip phone. The Motorola you know, is fine. The yeah. Motorola or the Nokia or whatever. So I think in general, I, I guess the book, trying to make is i like this idea of playing with when when abilities or skills or magic items whatever you what whatever you you you're given to your characters have some sort of consequence with it whether however you know whatever the whatever the actual uh severity of the consequence can you know be buried but abilities with consequences i think that's really interesting no matter what you do whether you're like talking about curses or just general gameplay i feel like that's the easiest way to go about it is the is that mechanic of abilities with consequences maybe mm-hmm. you try to branch into like um i don't know it's, I, it's hard for me to even think of something else i i kind of want to think of something like a like a, a, a quick use enhancement like almost like a bioshock thing where they can shoot mm-hmm. like, like a stim pack or something um, but it causes them to kind of corrupt a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's very well balanced, the idea of abilities with consequences. But I, I don't think it should be neglected either, the full out, you're cursed. Like, mm-hmm. well, guess what? You're fucked. Like, you yeah. open that chest and you thought you were getting some treasure. Hey, guess what? Bad news, pal. Like, you're, you can only see in black and white for, for the rest of your days or, or who knows <laughs> what, you know, like... Like, maybe, maybe you you just kind of inspired me for one too. Maybe it's something where you hit you hit them where it hurts and you do something in the pocketbook. Like I'm not sure what the it, and we don't even have to give them something in the beginning. That was just in the question. It seems like a good thing, um, but maybe it's something along the lines of every time they open a chest and get that loot, a tithe of some sort is lost to them and they can't collect it all. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. I have two more for you based on those things. Um, one, which is like you're talking about, you know, abilities with consequences. I like that. You know, what if you, we all look at these like mechanic, game mechanics. We're so set on the game mechanics. What if it was, uh, and particularly combat focus, you know, what if you, the DM, rewarded that and gave them like a plus two to hit, a plus two to like combat, <laughs> combat, but any type of social interaction is like minus two. 
disadvantage. Yeah, every time yeah. they try to persuade, you can never mm-hmm. find find the right word. Yeah, yeah. or you always say I, the wrong thing or something like that. Disadvantage. I don't. Yeah, yep. I mean, or I don't want to go to disadvantage. I, I think. The, oh god, the flaming raging. Yeah. <laughs> no, see, you had the flaming raging poisoning sort of doom on your back. You, you got like plus twenty to hit or whatever. But when you are in a social interaction, nobody you, you wants to talk to you. Nobody wants to talk to you. You can't do anything. Which you know, I mean that that would be that would be one step in the right direction to try to balance that game, like that bro- broken game mechanic from the Adventure Zone. But I I think um, I really like uh, something that Harry said about hey, what about just being cursed and you're fucked? I think that's interesting because nobody wants their characters to die, right? We all, we all want to play to yep. level 20, re- regardless of whether or not we know in our heart of hearts we're going to sit down at this table and probably not make it past level 6 before everybody kind of fades out. Um, yeah. <laughs> kind of timely, timely that you're bringing that up. But. Yeah, but, but <laughs> like if you know that you something happened to you where your character is going to be fucked and you're going to die eventually, like that's a serious consequence that you're not going to expect at most tables. Yeah. I also kind of like the idea that it's um, that it's players player controlled level of fuckery like um, bouncing back to that idea about like stim facts. I was I, for some reason I'm thinking Bioshock like let's say they have a mechanic where they can say I'm infusing this with elemental damage or I'm faster all of a sudden or I'm stronger for a short time but every time they do it and let's just go back to charisma because it's easy every time they do it it actually physically affects them and makes them a little bit uglier or a little bit more scary looking. And that in turn affects all of their charisma checks or it goes to their decks. Their muscles don't are used to having this chemical. And now, you know, uh, it's a, I'm playing fast and loose with the curse terminology in that sense. No, but I like, like that. They're atrophied now. Now they've depended on this for strength so many times. Now they're at disadvantage at all strength checks when they don't have it. It's almost like that thing from Fable, you know, the, the, depending on what kind of action yes. your character does, the, the, the appearance, their appearance changes. Good callback. I, I haven't played that forever, but good callback. Yes. Yeah. If you do a lot of good stuff, you're like, you buff up and you have a halo and butterflies are flying around you. But if you kill a bunch of people, you got horns growing out of your head. But see, that kind of brings mm. us back to our original do race. Yeah. Our race <laughs> is really <laughs> evil. In that setting, certainly does. Yeah, in that setting, the horns made the tiefling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. One quick uh, mechanical one to throw out. Um, uh, especially, this is more focused on clerics. Um, if you want to give a, say, a plus one boost to the DC for damaging spells, but make it so they can never enter a temple again. Ooh, that's, yeah. I like I like that kind of thing, too, where it's not, like, right, it's not immediate. Um, it's not, like, it's not a black and white punishment thing, but then when it dawns on him, it's really heavy. So I don't know if this would really work really well in 5e, because I know magic items in 5e are kind of more regulated, and getting a plus 5 weapon isn't as, you know, is virtually unheard of. But in 3.5 and Pathfinder, it's almost assumed that at a certain point you're going to get like a plus 2, plus 3, plus 4, etc., but you're talking about like a tithing. I really like the idea. So what if you started a character off with like a plus one uh, weapon or a plus one with a special ability, but unbeknownst to them, it's cursed, so they can't get rid of it. Yeah, and then they can't go any further than that. They got the plus one when everybody else is rolling in a plus four. Mm-hmm. 
and they felt like hot shit at level one. Uh, I would add that if that was the case, um, just looking at it from a player perspective, um, that would kind of unfair. Yeah. Well, I would say make incorporate some way to um, either work through the the curse or um, eliminate whether it's a personal journey, whether it's, Hey, I've got to kill the person who made this sword, something like that. Um, Because it, it can be, I mean, bad fun is no fun. Yeah, that's true. And we don't know the <laughs> motivations of the question asker either. Let's like he's asking for these curses for a reason. Let's say that he's got this one dickhead player. He's good friends with him outside of the table, but he's a real dickhead character. God, I'm sorry, Jesse. <laughs> I mean, um, no. <laughs> but like, what no if the names. guy? So what if the guy deserves it? You know what I mean? And and well, that's a whole nother can of worms. I don't want to get into right yeah. now. But like the time, the time with which to enact that. When would that be appropriate? Yada yada. But like. If that guy deserved it, the, you know he still deserves a, a, the ability around and and kind of come back from that and get rid of it. I would say it was totally fair. I don't think you should ever be using D and D or mechanics to punish people. I, yeah, I, I don't mean that as a player. I mean basically, he you know he's a good guy. Let's just I, I'm just talking about fictional people now, totally. But let's just say he's a good guy, but his character is just a real monster, um, and he and he gets a curse due to his own actions. I think that's a lot more fair than, and that's again, this is the can of worms I don't want to open. Like, uh, when when is the time for you as a DM to say you deserve this to happen to your character? I think that it's a relationship, most definitely. If someone built a character that is more powerful than everybody else around them, and they're like can do everything, then that's a conversation the DM needs to have with a player and say, "Oh hey, yeah, you're not. I know you're having fun because you are literally." Winning everything like James Bond, but everybody else is just NPCs who are just following. I think that's a, that's definitely a huge issue. That um, uh, it's something that should be front loaded. Uh, there should be. I mean, this is we could probably have a whole entire discussion on this alone. Um, let's do that. Let's do that. Whole, <laughs> right. That's actually yeah. We'll do, <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do we'll do an episode on session zeros and front loading. Yeah, definitely. It's, there should be an upfront conversation of this is what table expectations are. Yeah. Um, you got to lay out, you know, where, where everybody is on min max. And it just, instead of having this awkward, like, Oh, you know, I don't know what to bring. I don't know what this table is like, just, it's easy to just talk to people about it. And instead of just kind of, you know, bullshitting your way around it. Exactly. Like I think even myself, I wouldn't be welcome at a bunch of tables. I like, I haven't done a lot with this character, but like, I love doing a comic relief kind of guy. And this 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 group would be fine with it, but a different table would hate that. I actually had a story about that really recently. Actually, about I, was, I went to visit a friend in uh, Boston last year, and he they went they held a D and D campaign, but they never told me their rules on multi class. A table rules. Yeah, like so. Obviously, DMs don't do multi class. Some 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 DMs don't allow multi classing. Others do. This was this a fifth edition. Well, they could suck a dick. I mean, with fifth, <laughs> fifth edition technically feats are an optional rule. Um, yep. I personally don't like a super dumbed down system, but that's somebody's cup of tea, so I, I'm not judging it. Yeah. Oh, I was talking about multi-classing, not feats. No, I'm just saying like the rules are flexible and can be changed. Oh. That's obviously yeah. something outside the scope of a you know player's handbook. But but with fifth, fifth edition, it is. Um, All I'm saying is, if the character comes comes to your DM and is like, "Hey, I want a multi class, or can I take this feat instead of this ability score?" You're gonna 
kind of be a dick if you don't let that happen, right? I mean, yeah, at our table for sure, we wouldn't we wouldn't play with that yeah. deal. <laughs> so I was I was a uh, cleric. Uh, I was a cleric, a dwarf cleric, and I wanted to lo- uh, to multi class into fighter. And he was like, "No, you have to go find somebody to train you how to be a fighter." I'm like, "I'm a dwarf cleric. If I'm not the, if I'm not already a fighter, I don't know how, how who can train me to be a better fighter." And I think I say we roll that into our. I I love that idea of doing an episode on front loaded in session zero because I think that's really important. And then we could probably include in that same thing: how do you deal with these problems when they come up from that DM's perspective? Not that particular mm-hmm. DM, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it would suck totally. You show up, you're prepared with a character that you really are excited to play, and he's like, "Now nah, redo the redo seventy five percent of that because I don't do multi classing." It's rough. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, but I can kind of see the point. Like y- y- the DM wants it narratively to make sense, right? Yeah, and I mean, but you give them that workaround, and maybe you know, and we'll, well I'm, I'm I'm rolling in these worms. Um, <laughs> rolling in these worms I didn't want to see uh, but you could uh, you could work it into their backstory at the table before you play okay oh well I wasn't planning on having you multi-task but or I'm sorry multi-class but we'll just say that you know you met this guy he's you know you have a liaison who taught you how to fight now we're ready to go you well, can justify I mean, it pre-gaming I think I'm going to probably make again here we go with p- opinions that not everybody likes I'm going to say okay. it um, if it's in the player's handbook, I think that, in my opinion, if it's in the player's handbook and the DM doesn't uh, allow it, then that's not really a DM you probably want to play with. I agree. You know what I'm saying? I agree. Like, I, if it's a homebrew rule, like making bombs or something or having a gun, if your DM yeah. doesn't allow that, that's understandable. But if it's in the player's handbook and your DM's like, no, that's not going to happen in our game. Like, eh. or even I'll even say like, um, as far as like unearth arcana and stuff like that, the DM says, it's not, you know, it's not in the core yeah. rule book. I don't really want to deal with that. That's totally fair. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I mean, I'm, it's, it's published material and it's in the player's handbook. It, it, you know, it's a feat or it's this option of multi-classing, whatever, like, come on. Maybe that's the curse. Maybe that's the curse. All of it. <laughs> you, <laughs> you are the only one. Any feats. Yeah, you were the only one. You can't take any feats and you can't multi-class. <laughs> <laughs> so right. I think that's a good uh, good, a good point to also point out, though. If you front-load this, you can have that conversation because we are playing yeah. a Dragonlance campaign with no divine magic. Yep. Right. And then we, knew, we, we knew that and we accepted it going into the campaign. Mm-hmm. Which originally was actually one of the reasons I wanted to play a bard. And I, when you told me that, I was like, that's okay. I like, okay, okay. I can work with that. Um, cause there's so many other cool things that he can do. It's not, it wasn't make it or break it for me, but if yeah, you, but, had, but if I, you know, if I, if that was the whole, if I was trying to play a cleric and you told me that, I, okay, well, let me go back to the drawing board before I spend, you know, six hours writing this guy's backstory. And <laughs> I mean, well, what's so great on the flip side of that, I mean, Sal has been super accepting and tolerant and like open to all of our suggestions. I mean, as I said, before in our chat, Harry has a fucking spell book that would put a warlock to shame, and he's yep. a barbarian. You know which, what I'm saying? Which you guys will get to hear as soon as we release episode one of our Dragonlance <laughs> campaign. Keep your ears to the ground. Spoiler alert. Keep your ears to the ground. That's okay. You guys are getting into the ground level. You get a little bit of intel. 
uh, really excited to present that to you guys. Sorry, I'm going to toot our own horn. <laughs> uh, I'm super excited for you guys to hear all that. Um, you guys cool with calling it there? Yeah. yeah. That should be good. Awesome. All right. Thank you guys Actually, very much for joining us. This has been Dice Advice. As always, you can check us out at thesellerlore.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at Loreseller, um, Facebook, of course. Other than that, we can't wait to uh, present some more stuff to you, and we will be back here as soon as possible. And, and who's, our, who's our sponsor for tonight? Oh, shit. Let me just see here. Uh, Harry, did you have that one? Oh, um, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's... Uh, uh, I think it's Slappy's Peanut Butter. Coming oh, at shit. us again. They came back. All right, yeah. <laughs> Slappy's Peanut Butter. Just, uh, Coming in hot. <laughs> oh, I also do have here uh, Jim, Jim and Nancy's jam jars. I don't, I don't really know. I don't really do you have know that why. copy ready? Do you read? No, they actually didn't send us any copy. It's just it a picture. It's a picture of a mason jar from Walmart with a hand. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, they did a good job with the label. But Jim and Nancy's jam jars—they're empty. You can put whatever you want in there, but they are pretty adamant that it should be jam. I've been Got using it. Jim and Nancy's for years. I'm a <laughs> lifelong customer. I'm not going Such anywhere. Good friends. You get They're one of the jars. Good friends That's of the shows. Not great with their money, uh, obviously, but uh, <laughs> they're, they're, they're marketing on this D&D podcast for their jam jars. Uh, they, actually, they actually say you're not allowed to put dice in there. Hmm. See, I, I love jamming my dice. So. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks again for bearing with us, everybody, and keep your ears to the ground for more to come. Until next time, slather yourself in peanut butter. Something I was thinking about the other day. I was just, you know, pumping iron in the gym like I yeah. apt to do. Well, well yeah, we're off now. So we're off. We're still recording, but we're we're not using any of this. So you guys can continue to brag, you know. Um, Let's get dirty. Thanks. But anyway, I wasn't bragging. I was just <laughs> No, no. Welcome to Welcome to Dice Advice After Dark. Yeah. <laughs> Dicked out, boys. Dicked out.